Hey folks, welcome back to Go Team Video, the podcast where the AMPM video team watches a movie and then talks about it along with everything else that's going on. I'm Michael Sadler and I'm joined by Daly Singleton and Abigail Johnson. Hello, y'all. What's up, everybody? Today's episode is Howl's Moving Castle, episode seven. And uh, I'm kind of interested. Want to know a few facts about the movie? I think Daly might have a few. Hey, everyone. So uh, getting into some facts here. How's Moving Castle, um, 2004. It's a Japanese fantasy film uh, that's animated, written and directed by Hayao Miyazaki. Uh, The film is loosely based on a 1986 novel of the same name by British author Diana Wynne-Jones. The film was also produced by... Toshio Suzuki, a uh, longtime producer for Miyazaki. They're kind of friends. I don't know if you have ever watched um, the documentary about Hayao Miyazaki. I haven't, but I want um, to. It's really good. Um, kind of gives a little, a really good glimpse into like his daily life and like his work. Um, every Sunday, he goes and cleans up the local river in his town, like goes and collects trash and stuff out of the local river in his wow. town. Hmm. Um, and he also has a daycare in Studio Ghibli for all the employees to have their kids go to. That's really um, very cool. cool. And I love that. Yeah, he's like notoriously a chill, nice dude. You know, uh, he's like very auteur, you know, and like is very um, sure of what he wants out of his works and his films, but he's pretty kind to the earth and it's not something you see terribly often um in animated films is it like an auteurship where someone will write and direct and produce something yeah it's just not common yeah but it's very cool he does a lot of that yeah and i think that's what makes these movies feel so wholly unique and original and there's really nothing else that feel, feels like miyazaki films you know right mm-hmm. And of course, the movie is animated by Studio Ghibli, and uh, in Japan, it was tribu- distributed by Toho. Um, in America, the it was uh, distributed by Disney, which um, Studio Ghibli experienced a lot of pushback from the Western distributors when they would put out films like Miramax, Harvey Weinstein, that piece of shit, uh, put out um, Princess Mononoke in America. Mm-hmm. And uh, once he saw the first cut, he sent a lot of revisions back to Japan and to, to Ghibli and Miyazaki and how they responded to Harvey Weinstein was to send back a samurai sword with a note that just said no cuts. And that was <laughs> the end of it. Wow. Yeah. And they won out and like got to keep uh, Princess Mononoke exactly how they wanted it. Cool. Which is wild because I feel like that is one of the like m- more like grown up type movies yeah. that has been has come from them, you know. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing um, a lot of these on DVD um, after I kind of gotten into Miyazaki movies, and uh, at a certain point, it is when Disney takes over the distribution and and part of like the uh, 
unfortunately, one, one of the things about the DVDs, you play it, and in front of the movie, you have John Lasseter there saying, like, hey, uh, the world, meet Miyazaki-san. It's like, we didn't need you to introduce us to Miyazaki. Yeah. Like, it's not, that's not for you to do. You don't get to take that credit. It's so stupid. Yeah, it's like, I want to say that up front. Like, I also, like, really hate how, how John Lasseter treated and, like, kind of acted like he was the fucking shit for bringing these movies over here and mm-hmm. shit like that. Right. Like, it, it really and pisses me off. a lot of them. Yeah, yeah. And, like, the later ones didn't get changed as much. Like, Howl's Moving Castle, like, is pretty much exactly the same. Like, there's really no major differences. It's it's with, like, the earlier stuff that wasn't out yet in America that Disney put out that they, like, tampered with and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But, um, so, let's see here. Um, so this film uh, really is influenced by Miyazaki's opposition to the United States invasion of Iraq in 2003. The film contains strong anti-war themes, and Miyazaki stated that he had a great deal of rage about the Iraq War, uh, which led him to make a film which he felt would poorly receive, be received in the U.S. Hmm. Kind of interesting. He purposely made a film that he thought would not the U.S. would not like. And that goes into how Disney handled the release as well. They released it. Um, let's see here. How's Moving Castle, uh, a heavily anti-war film inspired by the Iraq War, got a summertime release in the States grossing less than $5 million. Mm. And that was Disney doing that. Wow. wow. Yeah. Um, so there's just like putting it, you know, kind of like setting it up not to succeed. Um, but ultimately, it doesn't really matter. This movie is still very successful. Um, in the original release, uh, let's see here. I have the Japanese one. Okay, in Japan, it it's grossed $190 million wow. overall. Wow. What was the budget? Um, Howl's Moving Castle had a budget of 2.4 billion yen, which equates to about $24 million. Oof. Yes, and uh, overall in Japan as of today, it's made 190 million U.S. dollars. Quite a return. Yeah, quite a return. Um, yeah, I was interested. I, I wonder what something of this scale costs in, in terms of animation. I did too. But the original release, uh, it it did not like open well. You know, like it was like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it grossed less than five million, like the opening weekend in America, because of how it was positioned. Mm-hmm. But you know, the the thing that is kind of the positive of Disney doing this is that you do get some interesting performances from like Billy Crystal and Christian Christian Bale. Yeah, I was going right. to ask that question. Did you all do sub or dub? I I I I have I I, I know. It's. I really should watch these movies in, in Japanese and watch it subbed, but I've mm. only watched it uh, dubbed. I think that's my Same. experience for all, all of the films. And f- for the most part, I do like uh, the performances. Yeah. Except for Castle in the Sky. That one guy sucked. Yeah. It's a good movie, though. Yeah, this one, the thing is, like, this one, they had, like, had ex- they had already kind of gotten the flow at this point of putting these movies out um, because this movie came out in 2004 so it's like they had already had experience putting out other movies before mm-hmm. this you know translating like doing like other releases in North America so at this point they didn't really tamper with it too much and I think 
Christian Bale as Howell is pretty cool. And yeah. I think that um Emily Mortimer as Sophie is great. Yeah. And and Billy Crystal is really fun as Calcifer. Mm. Yeah. Like I can't help but love Lauren Calcifer Bacall because of Billy Crystal. Exactly. As, Mike uh, Wazowski. Which yeah. of the <laughs> which of the waste. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, uh this movie first opened at the sixty first Venice Film Festival in two thousand four. Um and um one 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 other thing, um some of the things that are different between because now um G Kids has partnered with Ghibli to put out uh new releases of all of Ghibli's films, and it's the first time that they've been able to be streamed digitally. Oh, cool. Which is kind of a historical moment. And um the the this movie isn't like I said altered too much by Disney, but some of the er- early ones had really poor um, subtitles and uh, poorly translated English subtitles and visual transfers, along with poor audio tracks and like having these like burned in subtitles that mm-hmm. were just dated that like they just never replaced. Um, and all the G Kids releases have like fixed those problems with the other Ghibli films. So it it is really great that they've been re-released in their proper formats. And this was the first time I watched it in um, 4K HDR. And it truly was like a new experience. Like seeing the colors pop in this new way and seeing the the definition of, of a 4K image of this movie. Um, so I really had a great time seeing it. It almost felt like I was watching it for the first time again. Nice. That's cool. But that's it for facts, y'all. Yeah, let's get into first impressions. Abby, what do you think? I mean, I love this movie. It's maybe one of my favorite Hayao Miyazaki films. Um, I mean, aside from like the the anti-war kind of themes and everything, it does just like make me feel good at the end of it. It's like a love story. It's you know, an action movie. It's, it's, it's wonderful. It's beautiful to watch. Yeah. And I, I love it. I, I could watch it 10 more times and I wouldn't get bored of it. Right on. I think uh, Miyazaki is magic. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I love this movie. It's one of my favorites of his. Uh, I don't really have a ranking, but I love Spirited Away and Princess Mononoke and uh, Nausicaa, The Valley of the Wind, and My Neighbor Totoro, and all of them. But this one, uh, mm-hmm. it's just dark and fun and and silly. I love it. I love how moody Howell is in this, and he's, oh, he's just, so, like, moody. so obsessed with himself, <laughs> dude. It's it's really it's really funny to me. Also, like Howell is like so hot in this movie. He is. Oh and he's God. also so like hot. so androgynous. Yeah. Like they have definitely another, Bowie, some yeah. Bowie stuff going on. Yeah. yeah. That's that's just another reason I love it. Yeah, totally. One of my favorite lines in the movie is uh he's like he's messed up his hair and he's so sad. And he's yeah. Like, What's the point of living if you can't be beautiful? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you think, Daily? Um yeah, I love this movie. I've seen it a lot. It had been it's been a while since I watched this. Um, even I did a rewatch of a lot of Miyazaki films uh, last year, and I didn't watch this one. But so it's been a long time since I've seen it. And like I said, I haven't seen um, 
this new 4K version and it's fucking beautiful. Like was so blown away. Um, I'd picked up on a lot of new things this time watching it. Just like the notes about compassion and like how important compassion is, is a, is a thematic element in this film. And um, also how childlike Howl is kind of was never really sunk in for me until this, this viewing is because he is a, like a child in a lot of ways still. And we'll get into that later on, but like, Mm -hmm. I didn't pick up on that before for some reason. Uh, And it really all hit me this time watching it. And just like the petulant, like he's kind of petulant in a lot of ways, you Mm -hmm. know, and like bratty. And it makes a lot more sense to me now seeing it this time. Yeah. And so if he's like, so responsible. So responsible. So thoughtful. And mm-hmm. I love her character. Yeah. She's incredible. And everything that happens, it, it it hinges on one bit of like lore. And it's that Sophie can't say that she's cursed. Mm-hmm. She can't talk about the, the, the nature of the curse to anyone. And that's like yeah. literally the cause of everything. Because if if Sophie could say anything, that none of this would happen. Yeah. Basically. Cool. Let's get into breaking it down. Better plot town. We open with a foggy landscape and this like very detailed mechanical house with legs is is crawling through. And we see like a beautiful green landscape with sheep and houses. Sorry, we we see a beautiful green landscape with sheep and the house comes walking through it. And then we have the opening credits and we go to Sophie's town and there's a train passing through, billowing smoke, we see a young woman who's Sophie making hats in the window and the shop, this is a, like a hat shop and the shop is closed and there's a bunch of women out in the lobby and they're making all kinds of noises because they can see Howl's Castle passing through and they try to get Sophie to come hang out with her and she was like, nah. And the women are just talking about Howl and the castle, and there's these little military planes that are flying around um, around Howl's castle. And Sophie leaves and like puts her hat on and walks across town. And we see some trolleys, and Sophie hops on one, and she's riding on the back of it, and she's passing through a parade. Through that's happening in the town. And she goes past the parade and she's goes down an alley and she's holding a piece of paper in, in her hand that she keeps looking down to. And she runs into a couple soldiers that are like being really weird with her and trying to hit on her and they're calling her like very cute. And they they this one soldier keeps calling her mouse and the second soldier walks up and they're just basically harassing her and Howell shows up and he he acts like he's her partner or something. He's like, Hey honey, I've been looking for you and uses his 
magic powers to make them like march away. And he says that he's like, I'll be your escort for the day. Like, where are we going? And then he drops like, oh, don't be alarmed if I'm being followed. And then these like blobby monster guys wearing these flat hats are kind of swarming them and following them as they run off and fly into the air, Howell and Sophie. Before we uh, get too far away, I want to just note out um, instantly, this movie does a lot of really beautiful things with camera pans in 2D that seem 3D, you Mm -hmm. know? And you see that with like uh, Lottie running up the stairs in the hat shop in the beginning. She runs up like the camera's pointed down the stairs and then it like pans to the left, almost like it, it's emulating like a turn as it, and then she runs like straight ahead. Yeah, and all the shots like, are very cinematic, kind of simulated camera moves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. And it's I think that's like one of the things that sets Ghibli movies like apart from like other animated films. For sure. Is all, how cinematic they are. They're all very cinematic, very thoughtful. And so back to the blobby monster guys, they're kind of following them. Howl and Sophie fly up into the air. He says, straighten your legs and start walking. And they're literally walking through the air above buildings and kind of overlooking this parade. And it seems like nobody is noticing that they're up there. And then he drops her off on a balcony and says he will draw off the enemies. And they kind of have a little moment. And then Letty, we realize this is um, Sophie's sister. She runs out to Sophie and she's like, somebody saw you flying in the air and and land on the balcony. And uh, she said that she must have been with a wizard or, uh, you know, a wizard who could have eaten her heart. And she's like telling Sophie to like watch out basically because also the witch of the waste is back on the prowl. And they go outside the the building that Sophie got dropped out dropped off at, and Letty wants Sophie to leave the hat shop, and Sophie is like, "No, I want to stay. I enjoy it." And um, during this scene, we kind of see off to the side. There's like a person kind of being toted around in a in like a a carriage by by a couple handlers. Mm-hmm. And later we realize this person is the Witch of the Waste and her henchmen are kind of toting her around. And Sophie goes home and locks the door and puts her hat on the coat rack, lights a candle, and suddenly a big scary woman walks in the door as if like like it's unlocked. Looks like Lady uh Dimitrescu from uh, Resident Evil 8 this year. Mm. That, yeah, actually. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. The, the vampire lady? You're totally right. Kind of has that vibe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she kind of appears in the beginning. Yeah. Um, and this woman is just commenting on how tacky the shop is and how, you know, how tacky the hats are. And she calls Sophie tacky and 
Sophie asks her to leave and kind of shows her where the door is. And Do we know any other motivation for the Witch of the Waste to be so, like, against Sophie? Well, I feel like uh, she just, for whatever reason, knows that she's tangled up with Howl. Okay. That's kind of what I inferred because the Witch of the Waste is infatuated with Howl. Yeah. That, that we realize towards, you know, towards maybe the middle of this film. Yeah. And, yeah, like, Sophie had a little moment with her, and the Witch of the Waste has magical powers and knows And know, I, I think, knows I feel like, yeah, the Goo Goons, like, tracked Sophie back to the shop. Yeah, they were all, yeah, they were definitely, like, following her and Howl. And um, from here, like, we, we learn this is the Witch of the Waste, and she gets kind of ghosty and, like, swoops over Sophie and leaves saying like give my regards to Howl so she like obviously knows something and she's like the best part of this curse is you can't talk about it yeah Uh, have fun with that yeah yeah and this like this movie is like such a loving like translation of a British quaint British town through uh, a Japanese lens French yeah, actually, that. but or French, yeah. Well, it's but there, well, there's two towns, like it, it's French and Great Britain, basically mm-hmm. that are at war with each other. That's like the two because Hal has like different names in different countries. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, it's Europe, you know. It's just like right. that part of Europe uh, that is represented. That is uh, actually has a long history of being represented in Japan by Japanese people. Like there's a lot of Japanese people that do stories about. Um, characters in this setting, mm-hmm. um, like Professor Layton series, the video game series, um, and also like uh, I think last week or the week before, I mentioned a game called The Good Life, mm-hmm. which is yeah. made by a Japanese uh, game developer named Swery that's set in a quaint English village or British village uh, that is kind of reminiscent of the same kind of thing. And it's like I said, it's it's there's a lot of different examples of this in in media. And Sophie's curse, back to the story, Sophie's mm-hmm. curse is essentially she's an old woman and and she can't talk about it. And it's all we know. That's all we know. And she's in shock and she runs out and then it's the daytime and we're back at the shop, which is oh. also where Sophie lives. I was going to say, I love this moment when she goes and looks in the mirror. She's like discovering that she's old. She's like, oh, I got to stay calm. And she runs away and then comes back to the mirror and sees herself again. She's like, oh, I got to stay calm. (laughs) And runs away again. And so she's back at home upstairs in her room and she's been in her room all day long. And Sophie's mom tries to go up and check on her, but Sophie kind of shoes her off and... And she's talking to herself in the mirror yet again, and she gets dressed and kind of sneaks out. So no one sees her. No one sees that she's an old woman or that, or, you know, they might think she's someone else and not Sophie. And her bones are kind of creaking and crunching throughout this. She has a hunchback. She has a lot of wrinkles. Like, she doesn't look like the same person at all. And... She gets on a train, and there's even, like, a young man that offers help. Um, and she's, she, like, kind of taken aback by it a little yeah, bit. Yeah. yeah, a little surprised, but politely declines. And 
then we see a lovely shot of her riding on the back of like a, a wagon full of hay bales and she rides off into the countryside basically and ends up at the bottom of like a mountain trail and there's this young man advising her to not take the trail because she's probably not the type of person that should be hiking up a mountain. And He's just like, there's only witches and wizards out there. <laughs> yeah, but she's going to find the Witch of the Waste. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, because she's like trying to reverse the curse. Right. That's and, an important thing to point out too, that the uh, voice actor changed after Sophie becomes uh, an older version of Sophie. It's yeah. Gene Simmons. Oh. Uh, not, <laughs> not the... Uh, not not not, not kiss. kiss. Not kiss. <laughs> the actress named Jean Simmons. Okay, okay, okay. I didn't. Well, I, I mean, I assumed that something had changed, but I didn't know the, the actor's name. Mm-hmm. And that kind of phases in and out. Yeah, as yeah. far as the voice goes. But I, I feel like they did a good job of casting somebody to sound like the older version of Sophie. And yeah, it I agree. flows really well. I didn't even consider that. And I, I got to say, I love how like how well she takes being cursed and turned into an old woman she just gets right to it and starts yeah. trying to She's figure like, it out this is life yeah like, god damn i didn't know well, being old would suck this yeah. hard and she <laughs> goes directly to the source of yeah, her issues yeah, i right think the reason the- why that makes sense is because this whole world everyone knows about magic magic is an accepted like thing it's That's not a, a surprise point. right like the wars are being fought with magic you know mm-hmm. so it's like it, it, it is Sophie's like, oh, this happened. I know people that this has happened to. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like I have to deal with this now. But she doesn't try to find somebody to help her deal with her problems. She just goes and starts dealing with it. Yeah. And she's going to find the Witch of the Waste. And she's, you know, obviously having a hard time being an old woman hiking up a mountain. So she finds a stick for a cane that turns out to be a scarecrow with a turnip head that she calls turnip head throughout the <laughs> film. And this is a kind of important character. Yeah, that, very. That shows up a lot and ultimately ends up being another person who's under a curse. And through kindness and compassion, you know, their curses are broken, but we'll get into that later. And she is being followed by Turniped after rescuing him. So she kind of puts him to work and she's like, go find a place for me to stay. And so he kind of hops off and it's getting really windy up the mountain and Sophie sees a battleship in the sky and she's super cold and keeps talking about how old her body is and how cold she is. And she's, kind of sits down to rest and then she smells a fire thinking there's like a cabin or a house nearby. And then Howl's Castle walks right up with Turnip Head kind of directing it towards Sophie. And Sophie kind of sees it and she's like, he calls this a castle? It's like wild looking mechanical. It has legs. There's a little stoop hanging off that she runs after and kind of hops up on the stoop. But she forgets her shawl behind and sweet, sweet turnip head goes back and returns her shawl for her and then hops off. (laughs) And it's like dark and dusty inside. It's very unkempt. 
And there's a little fire going in the off to the side that's yes. So uh, you know, one of the main themes of this movie is obviously old age. And it kind of is because, you know, Miyazaki was getting old at this point and he wanted to shake things up by having um the main character, the person that dominates the screen, be an old person because it's not seen a lot of times. Yeah, it's very unconventional. Yeah, and that was like one of the main thrusts of uh, themes of the movie is is like getting old and old age and still being like powerful and like, you know, a person even Mm -hmm. as like an elderly person. I think like as far as like being an artist goes and kind of representing you know, people, I think like it's, it's more interesting to kind of uh, have imagery of elderly people and people with wrinkles and people with like, you know, imperfections. And, you know, I think, I think it was a good choice. I think, you know, visually it always looks more interesting. Yeah. He always like tries to kind of break the mold in a lot of ways with like almost every film he does in some, some way or another, you know? Um, so this little fire happening in Howl's castle is a character played by Billy Crystal and his name is Calcifer and Calcifer introduces himself to Sophie and he's a fire demon but is kind of not revealing a lot of information about how he got to where he is. And Sophie thinks that he can break her curse, but, I mean, they're both yeah. cursed. It goes back to the whole thing of, like, you can't talk about your curse. Yeah. yeah Everyone her, can't talk about their curse. Right. Every person in the movie that has a curse can't talk and about it. And he's like, you know, I can't talk about it, but... yeah. But he also tries to convince her, like, if you help me break my curse, then I can yeah. easily break your curse. Yeah. Exactly. They kind yeah. of bargain a little bit and make a deal, which comes in later. And she, like, falls right to sleep right after that. Yeah, yeah she falls <laughs> Doesn't right she to threaten sleep. to throw a bucket of cold water on him first? Oh, she does that a lot. But yeah. I don't know if don't, that happens it's yet. It's very important. I don't think, yeah. I, I tried to note every time okay. she did that. Okay. But he does reveal to her that he powers the whole house yeah. and mm-hmm. kind of powers Howl. And, yeah, Sophie falls asleep, and then we cut to this little port town where boats and ships are, or sorry, there's like boats coming in to the port, and there's flags waving, and there's a man that knocks on the door and wakes up Sophie, and she kind of crunches awake when this little boy comes running downstairs, and wears this cloak and she pretends she's asleep so she can kind of pay attention to what's happening. And this boy in disguise opens the door after turning a dial to like a little blue spot. There's four spots on this dial. And every time they turn the dial, it sends Howell's house, I guess, into a different different setting, a different scene, a different location. The door is a portal that changes based on that dial. Yeah. Yeah. The house is kind of like in every place at the same time. It's a magical house. Yeah. (laughs) And there's the person at the door is delivering a message from the king to recruit Howell to fight in the war. And 
the ah. little boys like grows the beard. Yeah, he like has <laughs> like a little beard disguise and looks like an old short wizard. He yeah. changes his voice. I love the design mm-hmm. of it. It was so cool. Mm-hmm. It's very sweet. And then after the messenger leaves and they close the door, the boy confronts Sophie and he's wondering what the fuck is going on. And Sophie said that Calcifer invited her as like a little lie. And then there's another bell at the door and they turn the dial again. And there's a little girl coming at the door to pick up a spell for her mom. And the boy goes to get the spell and on his way, he's like, keep quiet, grandma. Don't cause any trouble. And the little girl comes in and thinks that Sophie is a witch. And Sophie kind of leans into it. And she's like, yes, I'm the scariest witch of them all. <laughs> and I'm a witch, she says. <laughs> witch. And the little girl leaves. And this little boy, we learn his name is Marco. M- uh, Markle. Markle. Markle? Really? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All of my notes say Marco. Wait, real quick. Can we get everyone's witch, witch voice one more time? Oh, we're going to do a witch cackle in, in honor of... <laughs> I'm uh, the scariest witch of them all. <laughs> I'm the witch of the waste. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a witch. <laughs> nice. We should do a whole podcast in witch voices. <laughs> yeah, I love it. We'll have to watch a witch movie and maybe witches. Oh, that'd be great. Maybe Hocus Pocus. Uh, definitely. Hocus Pocus. I would love <laughs> yeah. Halloween Town. Oh, my God. Dude. We <laughs> got to do Halloween it. Town. Maybe next year. We're kind of <laughs> yeah. beyond that. Yeah. Um, there's yet another bell at the door. And another messenger for Howell requests his presence. And like we were mentioning earlier, Howell has different names in France and England. Mm-hmm. And this is like, you know, someone requesting him under his other name and requests his presence at the palace for, you know, basically serving in the military to participate in the war, to fight. And the the boy closes the door and we kind of get like the first glimpse of like the royal city before they close the door. Mm-hmm. That in that particular part of the house portal, that dial thing, they are they're in the royal city at that moment. You get the idea that maybe Sophie has never even seen it. She's yeah, sort of like oh wow, yeah, she's like city. surprised and like, realizes where she's at, and then. After Markle, Markle closes the door, Sophie's like really intrigued by this like door portal and keeps like turning the dials and t- you know they go to they go to a bunch of not a bunch they go to a few different places in that scene and Markle is frustrated and he says leave it alone grandma I'm getting angry and then he's like hungry so he goes and gets some bread and cheese and starts eating and Sophie is like why don't we just cook up these like bacon and eggs and she starts cooking and Sophie's like they make this point a lot in this film that like Sophie is like the one person besides Howell that can get Calcifer to like cooperate Mm -hmm. with direction 
And so she like basically like makes calcifer like be hot enough to like cook the food and you know gets him to obey her. And she's basically at that point like I'll tell Hal about your bargain with me yeah. if you don't cooperate. And also this is like it's something that's never really talked about or anything, but it's something that I noticed this time around is kind of like the importance of speech and like persuasion is almost like a form of magic in itself mm-hmm. because Calcifer is not supposed to be touched by anyone by Howell or like not to be commanded by anyone but Howell. But somehow Sophie is able to um, command this demon. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that's mm-hmm. like a, a very important part of the film in a way. And it's, it's like everyone acts like it can't be done, but Sophie just does it. I think I read that an element of the book was that Sophie uh, was a witch without knowing it uh, and could basically uh, speak things to life. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting perspective. Which they didn't necessarily uh, overtly do in this movie, but maybe that's some of that spirit still in there. And even Markle draws attention to... You know, Calcifer only obeys Master Howell, and but he listens to Sophie after she. I mean, she threatens him with water in this scene, and reminds him of their like bargain about mm-hmm. the curse. And then the boy is like, "I'll get a kettle for tea." And Howell comes in, and he's like slumped and tired from the day and I feel like this is every entrance he has into the castle yeah Mm -hmm. and so he comes home like slumped and surprised at how obedient Calcifer is being and he's also just like not really questioning why Sophie's there and doesn't I guess like it doesn't appear that he immediately recognizes who she is do y'all like Christian Bale's performance as hell I do um it took me a little while the first time I watched it because it is like very, very subdued. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I like it. I think there's a there's a, like a real. Um, it, it works for the character. Yeah, I, I think, think so. Yeah, I, it what made it for me is once you see the range of how he's able to get childlike with the performance mm-hmm. is like what sold it for me. Yeah, and I think there is like you know. A kind of like range of expression, especially Definitely. when he's like angry about like Sophie like organized his bathroom and like he had a bunch of magic potions in there to like make him look beautiful basically and to give him like blonde hair. Yeah. And then <laughs> she dye. she like organized them all and it fucked up his system. And then he <laughs> like his hair was dark instead of blonde and he was just like, I'm ugly. Like even just like the the kind of range of expression that even though it Hal's character doesn't really like have a big range. Like, I don't know. I feel like seeing that scene for me, it like made me appreciate Christian Bale more as like mm-hmm. the voice for Hal in this yeah. dub. Yeah. And, and when he gets really happy too. Yeah. That's I mean, too. he sort of perks up uh, around Sophie all the time. It's uh, really sweet. And his, his like subtle confidence uh, yeah. Is another kind of tone that he really brings forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, makes hot how hot. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and so how sees what's going on, and I feel like it kind of motivates him a little bit. And he's 
he is wondering who Sophie is. And she's like, oh, I'm Grandma Sophie, the cleaning lady. It's my first day. And he was like, we're all have two slices of bacon and six eggs. And then he starts cooking and he's like feeding the shells to Calcifer. It's such a great detail. Yeah, it's really lovely. And I it makes me love Calcifer more when I see that. He's, he's just like kind of acts like a little pet. Yeah. And Sophie mentions she's like disgusted with the dirt in there and like, you know, is really motivated to clean the place and so Markle invites Sophie to come eat at the table with them and they're all together and they kind of serve her and pour tea and there's a wide shot and the place is a wreck and like Sophie clearly has her work cut out for her as the cleaning lady and they eat breakfast together and Markle eats kind of sloppy and doesn't express a lot of manners and it was like the first warm meal he's had in a long time. For sure. And Howell asks Sophie what's in her pocket. And she's like, what? What's in my pocket? And he pulls out a red piece of paper that she didn't know it was there. And he lays it on the table and it kind of, there's like a ancient like sorcery text imprinted on the table. Or something. Yeah. Like, and it imprints on the table from the paper and the paper burns up. And Hal reads it, and then he kind of clears that mark off the table, but he's like, you know, I mean, the spell is still there, even though I cleared it off the table. And then he directs Calcifer to move the castle 60 miles west and run hot water for his bath, because he loves baths. He takes a lot of baths in this movie, and it makes mm-hmm. me want to take a bath. Me too. And I don't like baths. They're Honestly. like, I don't take them often, but when I have one, it slaps. I'll tell you. It's like really what I needed. I don't take them often either, but yeah, my, I, I just need a big man's tub. I got to find me a, a tall, <laughs> tall boy's tub. Most mm-hmm. tubs are just like too small, honestly, mm-hmm. to yeah. even take a cup. That's probably the reason why I don't really take baths is because it's like. You need a you need a real tub to really yeah. enjoy a bath. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a small pool, if you will. It's, yes, it's warm yes. and soapy. I do have like uh, a cube that's like a shower cube that you're supposed to like put just in your shower when you shower, and the steam will like it's kind of like it an a, aromatic. Yeah, it's like a bath bomb, but like they but call them shower. shower bombs. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, yeah, those are wonderful, and I I frequent Lush. Not I haven't used it yet. I'm excited to I, use I don't it. go to Lush for myself. I just buy Lana shit all the time at Lush. Because <laughs> <laughs> Lana loves taking baths. Anyways. Sophie gets down and dirty and is cleaning up the place, you know, deep diving while Markle goes out on the town. Calcifer, like, almost... Burns out. Not really. He's like stressing because Sophie's trying to clean up the fireplace and clean out all the ashes. And she takes this like tiny little log that Calcifer is eating on and puts it off in a bucket. And he's just like clinging I'm gonna die, onto Sophie. it. Huh? I'm going to die, Sophie. Make it he's fast. stressing. And fast. Sophie cleans the ashes in the fireplace and... Hal comes in and he lays out two fresh logs and kind of blows the life back into Calcifer. And is this the first time it happens? 
This is the first time it happens. There's a few yeah. times it happens. Yeah. Calcifer, calcifer will turn like blue. Yeah. And Howl will kind of blow new life into him. And, and if you notice, you never really see the bottom of Calcifer. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You never really see what, what Calcifer's like core is, you know? And, no future spoilers. Right. And at this point, Howl has a new haircut. There's a few times how has a new haircut, mm-hmm. and he has bangs now, <laughs> so he must, is, he must be going through it. This is like the one and only time he must be going. Through it. <laughs> <laughs> this is like the one and only time he's like he says anything um, like contrary to Sophie, where he's just like, "I would appreciate it if you didn't torment my friend." Yeah, yeah. But he's like so sweet about I'm it, so also, sweet, and like yeah. smiling, and. Howl, like, turns the dial and flies off through the door into what looks like hell. So I have a note about this that I wanted to bring up to y'all. Do you think Howl is time traveling when he goes into that portal? I wondered that. Because it looks like he's going into the future of the bombings that are about to happen. I feel... Like he's going into present time, and like I especially think this because at the end of the movie they go into this like kind of meadow area with a cottage that he used to go to as a kid, and it kind of seems like present time. I mean, I mean there is that one scene. You also have a scene where there's a flash, like a like a like where Sophie travels back in time later in the film. Yeah, and she does go through that door, even though it's. Detached. She does go through that door and yeah. kind of goes back into the so, past. I always just so I assumed guess, that was some part of his subconscious as well. Yeah, and yeah. it's just like this time it really made me think like, what if there's an element of time travel that I've never considered with this film? And also, um, there's a lot of scenes of Sophie cleaning the house in a in a very powerful way, and Sophie leveraging the role of the 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 maid in a powerful way that um some critics online that I saw were talking about being kind of like a feminist element to the film and like mm-hmm. um having the main character using cleaning as almost like a a power you know and like a mm-hmm. and like like a, it's like Sophie's almost superhumanly good at cleaning you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah and turns this like unbearable house into like something that like brings them together yeah and allows them to have moments together like like this dinner table scene or I guess where they eat breakfast together yeah so I I don't know I I never thought I didn't think about that while watching it but it was something I saw when researching some stuff about the film that I wanted to bring up and see if y'all had any thoughts about that I love the way that Hal's dirty bathroom looks (laughs) there's all the colors all over the tub and just looks like some some alchemy's going down up in there. Oh, definitely. I mean, I think it's like certainly a thing where women have taken a kind of like domestic practice and turned it into like a feminist like labor like I don't know. I think yeah. about like artists that use craft for like kind of displaying feminism or Mm-hmm. You know, challenging political views or th- 
things like that. So I think it makes sense to me. So Howl turns the dial, flies through the door. He looks like he's flying into hell, and the door slams shut. And Calcifer mentions that if he dies, Howl dies too. And Sophie's kind of exploring the rest of the house, seeing what needs to be cleaned, and goes into Howl's bedroom, which... I mean, once it's cleaned, it's it's cool as fuck. There's so many little knickknacks and yeah. trinkets and just like little sorcery, he's kind of like a wizardy ferret. things. He's like he, a ferret. Yeah, was he like you know how ferrets collect shiny things? <laughs> and like that's like how Howl is. He just like yes. collects a bunch of shiny shit. <laughs> Pretty much, he has like just a bunch of cool little things to look at, like everywhere in his room. And his <laughs> his bathroom looks like hair dye explosion like it's just like there's a bathtub full of water and it's kind of steamy in there and there's just like colors everywhere and she's just like disgusted and just like a a messy teenage boys room I don't know <laughs> um she looks out the window and she sees that the house is moving quickly up a mountain overlooking a river that's way down below we get a lot of nice exterior shots of the house and Sophie's really impressed with Calcifer and you know he's moving the house he's you know really running the operation and she says that she likes his spark and he gets really excited and Sophie opens up a door to a balcony and she's like gazing out and looking at the beautiful lakeside it's an element of compassion that I mentioned earlier that's a theme in the film is like Sophie showing compassion to people is like powerful and like yeah and to everyone turn it, a pad yeah, kind of ignites them yeah not just Calcifer because like everyone it's like everyone deserves to like feel that mm-hmm. in a way that's like part of the film DoorDash all right here you go Michael. so our meal was lovely. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone. It we was just good. ate. Good dessert was the best. <laughs> the dessert was really good. To, so, that was uh, that was a segment you didn't hear called to go to go team video. <laughs> to go team video. <laughs> to go team video. That's the name of our cooking show if we ever have one. <laughs> but you can't order. Sorry. No, not yet. We'd have to be really successful to open a <laughs> restaurant. Mm-hmm. Like too much money to know what to do with. It's like, oh, let's just open a restaurant. Bored. <laughs> We're bored. We're bored. Restaurant now. <laughs> and PM eats. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think to to go team video. To go team that's video. That's the name. Yeah. And all our TVs are playing music videos. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's kind of cool. It's like MTV as a restaurant. Yeah. <clears throat> so. Sophie opens up a door that goes to a balcony and she's gazing out into this beautiful lakeside landscape and Markle reminds her, I guess informs her that this is Star Lake. And Markle looks over and finds this stick poking out in like kind of like a mechanical gear of the house and they pull it out and it's Turnipet again. What? And he hops off, and he seems happy. Um, Sophie makes another little joke about being a witch. And then the house parks by the lake and looks kind of slumped, looks kind of pooped. And 
Markle and Sophie and Turniphead take out all the laundry and, you know, string up clotheslines and bring out some furniture to eat lunch at the table by the lake. And they kind of talk about Turniphead for a minute and reveal that he's probably a demon too, but probably like the good kind of demon. And they're just like watching the lake landscape and listening to birds chirping and looking at the mountain. And Sophie sits by the shore by herself. And then she's talking to Markle and she tells him, you know, when you get old, all you want to do is stare at the scenery. And she feels so peaceful. Then there's... We, get, we see shots of battleships dropping bombs and crashing into each other and a lot of, like, fire and destruction. This is in a, another location. This is where Howl's at. Howl is like, a, <clears throat> is like a bird, basically, in this scene. He's covered in feathers, and he's, you know, kind of getting the attention of these other demons in the scene that look like bats, and they follow after him in a swarm and he gets home and he's pooped he's like slumped and he's like really tired from the day and he goes to sit by the fire to rest and he asks calcifer if he's okay calcifer is like you smell terrible and howl turns into a human again and calcifer drops a really important note. He says, if you keep flying around like that, you're going to turn into, you're going to turn into that. You're you're not going to be able to turn into a human again. You're pushing it too far. And Howl, Howl says the war is terrible and they've, the enemies have moved from the Southern coast to the Northern border. And they keep discussing the war and wizards and Howl finally says, like, draw, make some hot water for my bath. And he walks off. And Sophie is asleep, and she looks young again while she's sleeping. And Howell, like, opens the door where it, to the room that, sleep, that Sophie is sleeping in, and he sees that she's young. But <clears throat> then he closes the door and leaves to go take a bath. Sophie wakes up to the sound of Hal's bath running and goes outside with Markle to get food for Hal. And Markle is in his wizard disguise again. And Sophie mentions she's never seen the ocean before. And they're they're in this port town again. And they go to the farmer's market to get food. And these boats are returning from the war and they're all like burnt and you know, practically sinking. And Sophie notices this, like, she notices one of the Witch of the Waste's henchmen. And they were just a few feet away. And then he leaves. And Sophie even, like, mentions how, like, nobody else noticed the henchmen. And a plane comes by and drops a bomb on the boat that just pulled up to shore and all the 
all the men on the boat are hopping off of it and they hurry home and Markle asks Sophie if she's okay and she's like, I need water. And so Markle gets her water and Howell storms out. He's crying and he's upset and he's whining about how Sophie has sabotaged his hair by organizing all of his potions and hair dyes in the bathroom. And he, this is when he has that line where he's like, what's the point of living if I can't be beautiful? <laughs> and his hair is just like black, basically. He's like still beautiful. Bro- yeah, he's still beautiful. And it's like an orange at first. Yeah, yeah, yeah and then that's it true. It's like yeah. orange, black. And um, it's kind of like uh, another, <laughs> like, it's another look at how Howl is like still a teen, you mm-hmm. know, like still very childlike. At that teen drama. And he thinks he's repulsive and he gets really depressed and calls the spirits of darkness and turns into this like slimy green gross like booger booger yeah (laughs) exactly and Markle was like I've seen him do this once before when a girl dumped him (laughs) and Sophie tries to touch him and she kind of backs off and she gets really mad and she's like I've never once been beautiful in my entire life and runs outside crying and it's raining outside. And at this moment, she seems to be standing up a bit more straight. Like she seems to be younger than the old Sophie character. And there is a bit of a a transition from here until the end of the movie where she kind of seems to get younger, but then yeah. keeps the white hair. Yeah, and it, and then she'll kind of revert back to the old state at times, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, in certain times of distress. Yeah, I you feel know? like she'll say something kind of like self-deprecating and yeah. like turn old again. Yeah. yeah, it's the the young self comes forward when she feels more self-confident and is is being more of her personality. Yeah, or when Howl is like showing her like specific attention. Mm-hmm. And so Sophie's outside upset. It's pouring down rain and Turnip Head shows up with an umbrella for her. And Markle comes out and says that he needs Sophie's help and, and Howl needs him. And Sophie comes back in and she's like, oh, he's fine. He's just throwing a temper tantrum. And she gets Calcifer to run more hot water and she gets him in. She and Marco take him up to the bath. And this is a funny little scene. His towel falls off and Sophie's like, looks surprised. Mm-hmm. You see this little tiny bit of his butt as she's carrying him up the stairs. Yeah. And there's this like green slime like <laughs> snail trail like <laughs> like through the house where where they where they're bringing him from the living room to the bath. And then there's a scene where Howell is laying in his like cool ass room and it's like full of these little trinkets and and things and you really get to see it in detail in this scene and so he sorry Sophie brings him some warm milk while he's resting and she tries to walk out and he says wait and then she like sits by him and he says the witch of the waste is trying to find his castle 
And he says he's a coward and he always hides and he uses his magic to keep everyone away. And he even mentions how he used to try to pursue the Witch of the Waste because he thought she was beautiful. And then one day he realized she wasn't. And he said he has to report to the palace because he's been summoned. And he has to report as both Pendragon and Jenkins, which are his two identities that we talked about earlier. And then he gets the idea that Sophie could report to the palace as his mother. And Howell gives her this like ring charm uh, for her finger to guarantee her safe return. And he says, I'll follow you in disguise. And She's kind of doubtful, but she leaves and makes her way to the palace. And we're kind of wondering when we're going to see Howell in disguise and what he's going to be disguised as. And we see this chonky little dog with (laughs) tiny legs. They look like chicken feet. Yeah. And we think that this is Howell. And the chicken feet are so cute. (laughs) And it's also kind of like resembles the chicken feet of the castle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so Sophie and the little dog with the chicken feet are like making their way to the palace and alongside them is the witch of the waste in her little like, you know, carriage Carriage pulled by two of her henchmen. She starts to get a little suspicious of Sophie. Yeah, definitely. And the witch says that she was personally invited by Sullivan, who is. Yeah, the Witch of the Waste is basically saying she's waited for this moment for like 25 years or something. Yeah, and um, she thinks she's being invited like in recognition of mm-hmm. her powers and right. in recognition of the things she's done. And they kind of like zoom past Sophie and then they approach the bottom of the stairs, but then they realize like vehicles are prohibited beyond the bottom of the stairs. This makes her goo goons go all limp. Mm-hmm. And so the Witch of the Waste has to get out and walk up the stairs basically. And also Sophie has to get up and or has to walk up the stairs and of course, this like little dog is too small to like even make it up one stair. So Sophie has to pick up the dog, carry this little chonker up all the stairs. Yeah. yeah, and we think this is Howl, and I'm you know watching this, wondering like why did he turn himself into like a useless Use. little dog? <laughs> and so the witch like snorts. A little drug potion and then gets up and she's walking up the stairs and she's having a hard time and sweating. Sophie holding this dog passes by her. They pass by the witch of the waist. She's really struggling. It's like she, melting and sweating. Yeah. And she's like saying that she can't make it and she's like very doubtful. And Sophie's just sort of playfully taunting her at that point. Yeah, until they get to the top of the stairs and then Sophie's like encouraging her and showing compassion yet again Mm -hmm. and and trying to, you know, help her. And, you know, the witch is like trying to 
initially going up the stairs, the witch is trying to get help from Sophie, and Sophie's like acting like she can't hear her. And she's like, What? You figured out how to break my spell? <laughs> <laughs> and the witch reveals that she doesn't know how to break her spell and doesn't understand how Sophie has the energy to even get up the stairs at her age. And, you know, Sophie tries to get the witch to give up, but the witch is like, I've waited 50 years to be here ever since Sullivan banished me to the wastes. And Sophie makes it up all the way carrying the dog. And at this point, she's encouraging the witch and trying to motivate her to make it up the stairs. And she asks the guard if he can help her. And the guard, he says, I'm prohibited from assisting anybody, basically. <laughs> and they make it to the top, and the witch of the waste looks completely different. She's, you know, not as, I guess, like, Formed. Formed as she looked at, at the bottom of the stairs and she looks very old and short. And, and sunken, yeah. Sunken and very sweaty. And they call Sophie Miss Pendragon because they're anticipating she's Howl's mom. And the witch hears that and wonders why that name sounds so familiar. She doesn't know. And then they approach the room that Sullivan is in, this woman that they're meeting and the witch sees a chair and like rushes over to it and to sit in it and the dog runs off and Sophie follows after the dog and this chair that the witch of the waste sits in is like an electric chair that's just kind of like really stripping her of her powers surrounded by like bulbs yeah and these like dancing spirits yeah, which we'll see again later. And then there's like a young boy who escorts Sophie to Sullivan, who is like the head sorceress of the <laughs> royal palace. And she thinks Sophie is Hal's mother and offers her a seat. And she tries to say, or Sophie tries to say that the king would find Hal completely useless because he's lazy and... Sullivan seems disappointed and mentions how Hal was her most gifted apprentice who was supposed to replace her, and now he's just using his powers for his own selfish benefits. And she says if he keeps it up, he'll just turn out like her. And they bring in the Witch of the Waste. Or by Sullivan says if he keeps up this, like, using his powers for his own self-interest, he'll turn out like the Witch of the Waste. Mm -hmm. And then cue the Witch of the Waste coming in and she's completely stripped of her powers and you see her actual old age and she looks really rough. And Sullivan even threatens Howell's powers and Sophie kind of calls her out at this point for being like manipulative and deceitful. And like these invitations that you're giving people are just traps to rob them of their powers. Yes. And with this confidence of Sophie kind of calling out Sullivan, she begins turning young in front of Sullivan. And Sullivan realizes that Sophie is in love with Howell and isn't his mom. And 
And then Sophie quickly turns old again. And the king comes in and he says he's no longer going to use magic in the war. And he comes up with this new battle plan and just has kind of a hot moment and then leaves. And we realize Howell is not disguised as the dog, but disguised as like a doppelganger of the king, right? Mm-hmm. It's the and, real king runs in. Yeah, because he runs in and we realize, oh. And he's saying the complete up. opposite. He's yeah. like, we're gonna bomb it all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna we are gonna use magic. And Do y'all think that the witch uh, would have realized that Sophie is like up to something if the witch wasn't so tired from like walking up the stairs? Was that like the witch was so close to figuring it out until like the witch? Yeah, had I would to say it was yeah. that. that she I has think, a one track mind. Yeah, uh, and then even more so, she has to make it up these stairs. She's just like, I have to get in here. It's my invitation. Yeah. She's a little bit blindsided by her own, you know, uh, obsession. Yeah. I think the trip up the stairs exhausted her so much. They mentioned, they call Sophie Miss Pendragon at the top of the stairs. And she was like, why does that sound familiar? But I feel like she's so worn from traveling up the stairs. And probably after being electrocuted, (laughs) she like doesn't. Doesn't even think about it. Doesn't even put two and two together. Mm -hmm. And. Sullivan, at this point, is using magic to send everyone through, like, water and then through the air. And the witch is kind of grasping onto Howl and Sophie's ankles. And Sullivan says, it's time to show your mother who you really are to Howl. And then there's this, like, really wild scene. There's, like looks like fireworks and we we again see these little dancy spirits like holding hands in a circle yeah. around them. which at this point I realized that those spirits are the things draining the person in the middle of their magic powers because mm-hmm. that's what they were doing to the witch of the waste and that's what was happening to howl it almost like hypnotizes the target person mm-hmm. and they're like trapped there. And like how is even hypnotized in that moment? Like he's just standing there, like and not he kind doing of anything. turned into like his bird. Self yeah. He again. starts turning into it. And then, and then the only thing that shakes it out is, um, Sophie being like, she's trying to trick you. And then like, that's what snaps him out of it. And he, you know, flies up. Yeah. Cause in that little spirit circle, he turned like full bird monster. And yeah. then, because of Sophie, they like kind of fly out of the palace. He turns human again and they hijack a plane. Or I guess he has it waiting for them. Yeah, because that's what he flew in on as the doppelganger. Yeah. And they take the little plane. The Witch of the Waste is with them. The royal. Yeah, Sophie grabs onto the dog and the Witch of the Waste. Yeah. The- Another moment of compassion. She brings them along. Yeah. And. Howell tells Sophie to take the wheel because, you know, the like Sullivan and her people are kind of gaining on them. And 
there's a big group of planes following them, ready to strike. And Howell reminds Sophie to use the ring to call Calcifer, and it will guide her back home to him. And he also brings up how Sophie saved her back there. And she, you know, she's flying the plane and almost crashes it, but Howell, like, makes her invisible for five minutes. And then she, you know, she's flying the plane and makes her way back home. And the guards come banging on Howell's door, and but in, like... I guess, like, real time. And when they barge into the building, it's, like, a vacant, empty building because Howell's house acts as, like, a, a teleporter-type thing. And they they weren't able to get into Howell's house for that reason. And Sophie's ring is, like, guiding her through, like, a storm back to Howell's house. And she even, like, passes over her hometown and, like, makes a point about it, and she's kind of staring back at it. And she makes it to Howell's castle, and Marco, Markle, Marco, Markle calls out to her, and... Got another uh, whisker, <laughs> whisper situation. She, like, crashes the plane, like, right into the... Yeah, the, the, the mouth the of the house opens up. And then the plane crashes into it, and a lot of shit seemed like it was destroyed, but they essentially made it back safely. And the witch yeah. is with them, the royal dog is with them, and the house the is like crawling dog. up the mountain. And then everyone's sleeping, and Howl returns, and he's like invisible, but has these like bloody bird-like yeah. footprints. It the I feel like it resembles the way the Witch of the Waste looks when uh, that witch curses Sophie mm-hmm. in the beginning. Translucent. Yeah, that translucent look. And Sophie wakes up to the creaking noises and she's like still young because when she's sleeping, she like turns young again. And she sees like a bloody footprint and a feather in it. And she tries to pick up the feather and it like turns to ash. So she follows upstairs and she's still her young self at this point. And she opens up Howl's door and there's just like a tunnel, like full of all the stuff that probably would have been in Howl's room. Like a ferret? Like a ferret. <laughs> all of his ferret shiny collections <laughs> are like or crow. Like, or a crow. Yeah, I guess crow is more appropriate. Yeah, because he kind of like resembles stuff. a crow yeah. when he's like yeah. a bird. And yeah, all these little knickknack things are like in this tunnel. And so Sophie goes down the tunnel and it gets windier the farther she goes in. And then she approaches a split in the tunnel. And she goes down one way where she hears Howl growling and she finds him in his full bird monster self. And she's like wondering if he's in pain and he's trying to send her away. This is Christian Bale in full Batman, Batman. And Sophie's like still young in this scene and Howl's like, you can't break my spell because you can't break your own. And Sophie reveals that she loves him. And... 
he he sends her away still, but then she wakes up and it seems like this was a dream. And I feel like there's a lot of moments in this movie that are kind of like that. I mean, it's like a, a fantasy, a fantasy film. Um, we we kind of draw attention back to when Sullivan said that Hal's heart was stolen by a demon and Sophie is like trying to press Calcifer for some information on it and she's like threatening him with the water bucket again and then Sophie walks outside and Turniped shows up and uh, Markle and Turniped are trying to pull the crashed plane out of the house and they're using a rope to pull the plane out and Sophie starts like cleaning and tidying and fixing up all the wreckage and then it's mealtime and Sophie is like spoon feeding the Witch of the Waste. There's a moment uh, earlier where uh, right before Hal transports the house where he mentions that Turniphead is like too cursed to like be in the house when they move. Oh yeah. That's like, that's like why Turnip gets like a little separated for them for a while. Mm-hmm. But he's back at this point and helps them pull the the ship out of the of the mouth of the house. Yeah. And then at mealtime, Sophie is spoon feeding the Witch of the Waste, and Calcifer is kind of freaked out that she's there, but the Witch of the Waste keeps mentioning, like, what a pretty fire. What a pretty fire. And ah, ah, ah. <laughs> <laughs> And Hal appears and he's like happy and a little surprised that the witch and the royal dog are there and he meets Turniphead and mentions how everyone in this family has problems. Yeah, but they're like, but he's like loving. He like, he's like kind of excited to like have all these people in his family now. Exactly. Like a, a sweet little found family. Yeah. And of it's like it's like and that's another theme that's like not like not the most important or front facing theme, but I, I do think that one of the themes of the movie uh, is that family is like who you choose to be in your family yeah. and not necessarily who you're born into because like Sophie's mom obviously like doesn't care you know what I mean like mm-hmm. and is like very selfish and mm-hmm. and everyone that Sophie's around in this mis- kind of like not misfit but just like band of adventurers almost like get her forced together through circumstance are more of a family than she's ever felt before or that any of them have ever felt before mm-hmm. and at this point Madam Sullivan is hot on their trail and Howell starts he goes outside and Basically, like, paints up a spell on the ground, and the house kind of comes and parks on it. And then he goes inside the living room and draws up a spell on the floor and gets Calcifer over the spell. He just, like, wrote up on the ground, and Calcifer goes, like, full demon. And, like, the house transforms into a different building altogether, and it turns out to be Sophie's house slash hat shop that was in the beginning of the movie. And Howell's like, moving is done. 
I didn't notice that at first. Um, it, that it was the same hat, hat shop. Yeah, just like I think seeing Sophie's reaction and like also like later scenes after they've like quote unquote moved. Yeah. Um, I that's when I realized that. Even the beginning, rewatching it, the beginning has like a very similar shot in the courtyard. Yeah. That yeah. like mi- almost mirrors the it's, same shot once they like move into it with hell. Yeah. I think they try to mimic the cinematography to remind you yeah. of where you're at. Yeah. And we even see a shot of the train billowing smoke from the beginning of the film, but in this scene. And Howell mentioned he's like, oh, I added a bathroom and an extra bedroom since the family keeps growing. And Sophie seems to be like getting younger. And then we even hear her young voice. But then she goes back to old lady when she's like, oh, it's perfect for an for an old lady to clean or something like that. She kind of like, like Michael mentioned earlier, like kind of resorts back to her old self when there's like a less confident Sophie speaking. And there's even like a new portal on the dial. And Howell turns to it and walks through the door with Sophie and this place is like a beautiful, beautiful green flowery field with like little bodies of water. And he says it's his secret garden and that he used to use it as like a secret hideaway when he was young. His uncle gave it to him. Yeah, and his uncle gave it to him. And he, there's like flowers swaying in the wind and Sophie's really happy and she mentions It seems so familiar, but she knows she's never been there before, but she feels like she's at home. Did we mention that the the, um, head of magic or whatever for King Solomon um, that was talking to everyone in the scene earlier after they climbed up the steps and whatnot? Sullivan? The the, the witch. Sullivan's like head witch. Yeah, she's like the head sorceress, Um, I think is what they call her. She was Howell's... Apprentice, or or he was he was her apprentice. Yeah, Yeah, I did mention that. Yeah, that's um, kind of like I don't know, just to bring that up now because like Howell's uncle was a wizard, so it's like, you know, it's like one of the few glimpses we get into like who is and who isn't a witch and wizard. Like it probably is somewhat genial, you know, and like passed down. Mm -hmm. And he shows her a little cottage. And yeah, this is where he mentions his uncle gave him the place as his private study. And he he says that he will allow Sophie to be there whenever she likes and to use that space for her own. And then she gets scared and thinks that Howell's going to leave her, which is exactly what happens. And he's like yeah. basically setting things up so that they can live a comfortable life while he's away because there's no promise of his return even. And Sophie's like begging to help him. And she's like, I'm not beautiful. I'm just good at cleaning. And she turns old again after saying that. And Howell's like, you are beautiful. And then there's like battleships in this very setting. And Howell is like using his magic to kind of disengage the ships and 
then his his arm that he was using to do the magic turns all like monstery birdie. It's all birded up. Yeah. And <laughs> then Sullivan's henchmen are like leaving the ship and like kind of taking off after them. And Howell goes full bird and flies off to the cottage with Sophie and he drops her off and Markle comes in and they're back at the house and they're prepping for bed and Markle says goodnight and to not worry about Howell because he does like to go away for days on end and the witch is laying in bed and she notices that Sophie's been sighing all day and she's like very obviously in love with Howell And the witch reveals that she's still in love and adores the hearts of strapping young men. And we hear like an air raid siren off in the distance and there's like henchmen like everywhere, like 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 ripping things up practically to try to find Howell's house in the city. And Calcifer's like keeping it hidden. Exactly. And the witch, at this moment, she's like, again, like, what a nice fire. And it keeps this place so well hidden. And um, Howl's flying above these battleships. We get a little shot of that before we go back to Markle. He's leaving the house dressed as a wizard and... He runs. He he runs into this strange lady who turns out to be Sophie's mom, and he brings her back to the house. And she says she's searched everywhere for her and worries that it's her fault that Sophie left. And she sees the witch and wonders who she is. She thinks she's like the landlord, and. Then Sophie's mom reveals that she got remarried to a really wealthy man and wants Sophie to come live with them. And Sophie declines politely. And, and yeah, it's like showing, like, you know, how much, how little Sophie's actual family cares about Sophie, you know. And Sophie's mom leaves right at this moment. The witch grabs a little bag and pulls out this like black wormy demon guy thing and feeds it to Calcifer. And then setting off a horrible chain of events. Mm -hmm. And then we also see that Sophie's mom was like pretty much hired by Sullivan to act in front of Sophie just to get some information. Yeah. I thought that was going to, that she was going to transform into the, uh, like head witch for Solomon. You know what I mean? Like, right. Yes. No, it just turns out her mom's fucked up. Yeah. Her mom's just fucked up and just like was bought from by money to, mm-hmm. to go do that. Yeah. And again, just even draws more attention to like what little relationship has developed between Sophie and her family. Yeah. Particularly her mom. And Markle is scared that Sophie's going to leave and not be with them anymore, and he gets sad. And he's like, I love you. Please stay. And Sophie's like, I am staying. We're family. And the witch is like token on a fat cigar. And she's like, <laughs> she's like. It, it's very lush. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like they really embellish the the smoking of the cigar. And Sophie's like, I will never let Sullivan get a hold of Howell. And at the same time, the the witch is like filling the house with cigar smoke. Sophie is trying to like billow the fire because Calcifer is like dying. And yeah. there's just like smoke everywhere and she can't get Calcifer going. Calcifer hasn't recovered from the uh, spy like worm that was fed to him and in the previous scene. So Markle tries to open a window to let some of the smoke out, which ultimately reveals where they at to Sullivan's henchmen. And Calcifer is like too weak to protect the place at this point. And bombs start landing all around them. And the henchmen come up to the stoop and Sophie's trying to shut them out, but they kind of bust through and... So then she runs out of the back of the house and bombs are falling more. A lot of shit's going down. Howell swoops in to protect and the house gets hit pretty hard. Sophie runs up and hugs Howell and she's glad that he's alive and these like bubbly henchmen like squeeze through a crack and kind of follow after them. And But the house... The house is still, you know, kind of holding itself and it casts out these like blobby demon guys. And Howell revives Calcifer. And he asks the witch about the cigar and she's like trying to be flirty with him. And then Howell leaves and he's like, Calcifer. Was that a gift? The cigar. Yeah. I'm assuming. I'm assuming. No, no. That uh, howls like was that a gift from our friend? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And I thought that was gonna imply that like the smoke was like poison or something. Like right. there was like something with the cigar, but it was. I think it was just a distraction mm-hmm. for the the wish of the waste, or even just like a substitute for like the actual gift being the little bag of the demon worm. Yeah. Um. And he's like, oh, Calcifer will protect you from Sullivan's henchmen, but another wave is coming. And Calcifer is too weak to stop the bombs. And Hal's like, I want to protect you, Sophie. And the henchmen kind of swarm outside of the place trying to get in, but they don't have any luck. And Sophie turns the dial uh, to... A spot where there's to basically a spot like outside of the city they were just in. Yeah. And it's kind of like dark and cloudy, and she's able to like overlook all of the destruction and bombing that bombing that's happening from a distance. The uh the henchmen kind of get like pooped out of the <laughs> of yeah. the battleships. Yeah, it's really funny. It's like a sphincter. <laughs> yeah. They can just get like shitted out of the battleships. <laughs> and then they have these little top hats. Mm-hmm. And they're like yeah. climbing on the they're roofs. Like little short yeah, they're really hats. funny. They look like little like like frog demons almost. Yeah. With like wings. They're like mm-hmm. kind of like quartet type <laughs> yeah. hats. And the steeplechase hats. Yeah. And yeah. So Sophie turned the dial. They're kind of like put out a little bit farther over walk, overlooking 
the destructive events that are happening where they just were and then how they they even see Howl and his like full bird monster self fighting. And she realizes that Howl's like in trouble. Yeah. This and then is, tries to is like now starts the set of events to like try and she's gonna try and help Howl in some way. She doesn't really know how yet. And Markle says they're gonna bomb the hat shop and Sophie's trying to get everyone out of the house. Um, and she's even trying to get Calcifer out of the house. And Calcifer is like, if you take me out of this house, like, it will fall apart. And he even says, like, make sure that I'm the last person to leave the house. And so Sophie, like, backs out of the door holding Calcifer. And then Calcifer exits the door. And it's, like, pouring down rain outside. And there's, like, battleships flying above them. And the house collapses as Calcifer moves through the doorway. And Sophie, like, finds a way inside the rubble of the castle and finds some wood for Calcifer to eat. And now that the house has collapsed, it's not necessarily attached to the hat shop anymore. So they were safe from the bombing that was happening. And... Calcifer says, I need something of yours to be able to burn big and bright. So he like eats her braid and blows up into this big fire that lifts the house back up into this like small kind of house. I guess it's like a room basically on legs. The braiding or the the hair braid that Calcifer eats is kind of like another... uh, time where the movie points out how important like hair is you mm. know what I mean yeah. just like earlier with like um, Hal getting upset about his hair yeah. like it's like a through line in the movie and turnip guy turnip head turnip he's like hopping in front of this like tiny version of Howl's Castle. Like, um, he's hopping in front of it, kind of guiding it. And basically, like, Calcifer is Howl's heart. And the witch realizes this, and it becomes apparent to the viewer, and she's become obsessed with Calcifer, and she wants to have him for herself. Because that's, like, her thing. She, like, likes young boys' hearts or whatever. As soon as, like, the wood moves or whatever and you see the witch sees the heart, she just, like, goes for it. And Sophie sees Howl for a moment and he's, like, trapped. And the witch takes Calcifer for herself. And then this, like, little house that his... You know, this this little rendition of Hal's house yeah, is like castle, falling apart. Yeah, the castle has fallen all the way apart to just a platform almost. Yeah. And it's like struggling to move, basically. And the witch is like burning because Calcifer catches her on fire. And then Sophie, you know, illustrating another point of compassion in the film tries to put out the fire to help the witch. And 
ends up putting out cal- calcifer and the house like completely falls apart splits in half and sophie is like completely separated from everybody separated from the house and markle and the witch the witch is like upset it's like hysterical and and the I will say the dog is with Sophie. That's the only the person dogs with Sophie. Sophie. Markle and the yeah. witch are together, and Sophie and the dog are together. And is Turnip with the witch with uh, the witch or Sophie? I think Turnip is with the witch because okay. Sophie finds she's like young at this point, but has like white hair, and she's like really upset. And she's like, "What have I done? What if I killed Howl too?" She's like really upset, and then this ring on her finger starts glowing. And the dog is, like, trying to get her attention because the dog realizes it before Sophie does. And he's like, oh. And um, she realizes the ring is guiding her to what was the front door of Howl's Castle. And yeah. it's and just kind of, like, detached. The ring is was given to her earlier by Howl. Mm. You know, it's kind of like a red herring or a MacGuffin kind of thing. And so the ring is guiding her to the front door and she opens it and it's kind of like a black spooky darkness that the ri- that the ring is shining into. And it's, so she, Sophie enters and this little wheezy dog follows. And I do love the little, little noises the dog makes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a pretty expressive little pup. I think it farts at one point too. I think you're right. Because like the tail goes up <laughs> and it makes the same noise and his mouth doesn't move, but the tail goes up. And so after Sophie enters, she's like glowing and she's like approaching this like glowing room with like a pretty minimalist interior. And there's like a table with like papers on it. And the ring, it's like stopped glowing, but it's like wiggling. It's like, shaking and the dog is like scratching at the door and Sophie goes out the door and she's like inside of the cottage basically from the the flowery field scene earlier where Howell introduces her to the cottage she was inside the cottage and opened the door she's like over overseeing this like field from earlier and there's kind of like a shooting star that explodes into light and the same ones we saw earlier exactly and the ring dissolves and then we see Howl in the distance as a child he's walking and Sophie runs after him and then suddenly she realizes she's in child Howl's childhood yeah she's in the past she's gone back in time and there's like glowing lights that travel all around and disappear. And Sophie's like walking and then she steps in this like black sludge and stops. And then there's like one last little star glow that flies by and Howl like catches it and eats it. And then he pulls what looks like calcifer out of his chest and He's holding his own heart. He's holding his own heart. Like, With calcifer burning, like, off of it. And 
Then Sophie is sucked into a black hole kind of thing that transports her back to the future. While she's calling out to Howl, saying, find me in the, Howl, find me in the present, basically. And this is where, like, it all made sense to me that there's time travel, like, in this movie. Like, because literally after this scene, it's Sophie waking up and Howl's, like, there. Yeah, and so it worked. Like that's what that was. Was like, maybe it's not time travel. Maybe it's just a connection that Sophie still has to Howl through the ring or mm-hmm. whatever. But somehow Sophie reached Howl mentally, and like Howl felt the call from Sophie to go to where Sophie was, like yeah. at this moment in time. And she goes back through the door that she entered in with the dog originally, and Howl is there, and he's like full bird monster. And she approaches him and pulls back his feathers and like kisses him. And she says, take me to Calcifer if you can. And then he picks her up and the dog. One of his legs is cut off. One of I his don't know legs. If you noticed this. Yeah, one of his legs is cut off, and the one that's remaining seems to be like huge suddenly, yeah. <laughs> and like yeah. provides like a place for. Well, this is just to me. It seems like this is his final form. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he's. This is what he would look like. Like mm. fully transformed. You know, that's why the foot's like so big. You know. And Sophie and the dog are kind of riding on his big foot. <laughs> on the big foot. And which is like in the middle now. You know, even though it is like. He did have another foot, but that foot's just kind of in the middle. And they go back to this, like, single platform on legs that was Howl's Castle. And they land on it. And the witch and Markle are there. And Turnip Head is there. And Howl lands and all of his feathers fall off. And Sophie goes up to the witch and she's like, give me Calcifer. And she's like begging the witch for Calcifer because she has to have him. And the witch finally gives in and tells Sophie to take good care of it. And after Sophie once again shows compassion. And she kisses the witch. Yeah, hugs and kisses the witch. And then the witch, and she also tells the witch that she has a big heart. Yeah, yeah, compliments the witch. And Calcifer is like small and blue and so tired. And he said he would be okay if Sophie returned him into Howl's heart. And so she returns Calcifer to Howl. And essentially, Calcifer is freed. And he turns into this like blue flying star. And the platform that they're on, like, completely collapses. And they start sliding down the mountain. And Turnip Head, like, jumps in front of this platform they're, like, sliding down on. And, like, it's, like, you know, at his own expense is helping them to safety. Grinding his stick on them rocks to slow it down. Yeah. Yeah. And... Sophie kisses Turnip Head after this, and then he transforms into a missing prince from a neighboring kingdom. So, from the from France, yeah, he, he's the missing prince from France. Which I'm pretty sure I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's why the war was happening. You're, was I think you're totally missing. right. Was yeah. over this missing this prince. past summer. I watched this movie, and that was when I finally learned that. Yeah. 
I, re- I I learned that this viewing as well. And he also like vows to end the war and return home. Yeah. Plus, uh, what he says is, I was just waiting for a kiss from my true love. Yeah. And then uh, I think it's Calcifer. Somebody's like, sorry. It's the witch. Or the yeah. witch, yeah. She's yeah. like, sorry, buddy. Yeah. She already has her true love. Which is, which is what frees Calcifer from... Yeah. Uh, Howl is when Sophie kisses Howl. Or I don't know if it's a kiss or well, not. She like stuffs like, a calcifer into his yeah, chest. Yeah, when, when they connect, yeah. you know, yeah. And he thanks her, uh, Turniped as the prince. He thanks Sophie and then Howl wakes up and he is in pain and he feels this weight on his chest and Sophie goes up to him and he's like, you're so beautiful, Sophie. And... Um, that's the it's the weight of the heart that he's never had as an adult you mm-hmm. know what I mean because right. he, he lost his heart as a child and that is why he is stayed in this state of kind of like petulantness and that's depression why he became a fuck boy. and like yeah he became a fuckboy and and he just like never wanted to engage with any responsibility and kept changing his name and it's the acting in self-interest. Yeah, it'd be in self yeah, because of Calcifer, but you know, it's all just a metaphor. And this whole time, the head sorceress Sullivan is like seeing what's happening because she's like magic and yeah. she because sees of the dog. She's looking through a literal crystal crystal ball. Because yeah. the because the because she's like, oh, you finally like, like reached Howell out finally found true love and <laughs> because the dog like the dog had like ignored checking in at home basically the dog like had the magical ability to like report back to to the to that witch and never did it until the very end and basically just to say like fuck you i'm going to i'm going to live with them now yeah <laughs> like i'm not coming home and so sullivan sees that how has found true love he's you know, no longer interested in making selfish selfish decisions and chooses to call in the prime minister and the minister of defense to put an end to this idiotic war. And Calcifer comes back and says that he missed them and Sophie kisses Calcifer. There's a lot of kissing in the end. And... Howl's castle is like flying at this point. It's like back together in its full form, better than ever, and it's flying. And Howl's flying castle. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And Sophie and Howl are on the balcony kissing, and they kind of ride off into the clouds, and it ends. It's beautiful. You get a really awesome shot of this like cool garden that's like on the back porch of the castle Mm -hmm. with the dog running running around. around, It's so cool. It's like, I just want to be on the live up there. I know. It's so cool. How many rooms do you think are in that thing? Like overall, because like it seems like way bigger than we even saw. Mm-hmm. I mean, it must have had less rooms than Sophie's like hat shop house <laughs> because he said he added a room and a bathroom. <laughs> well, maybe point. all the other rooms are just his like magic rooms. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say it's probably like twenty five hundred square. <laughs> Two floors. <laughs> okay, quick question before we get into our reviews. Uh, uh-huh. <clears throat> 
What house of Harry Potter does uh, Howl belong to? Hufflepuff. Mm. Mm, I mean, that's a that's a good guess. I I mean, Hufflepuff sounds right, but like I would say maybe used to be in Slytherin, now is in Gryffindor. I don't know. <laughs> He's too much of a loner for like. Slytherin or Gryffindor. That's why I said yeah. Hufflepuff. I think Sophie's a Gryffindor. Sophie's for definitely sure, a Gryffindor. Which of the sure. waste is some Slytherin? Yeah. I, I see Cal's Hufflepuff. Hufflepuff. Yeah. Calcifer's the sorting hat. <laughs> 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 All right. That was uh, Hal's Moving Castle. Now let's, let's get into some reviews. I'll go first. No, you um, went first last time. Oh. No, I'll go first. I'll, you'll go for go first. <laughs> um, I'm gonna give this movie. I'm just gonna start with my rating. Uh, I'm gonna give this movie a nine out of ten VHS tapes. I think it's pretty much perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even know why I'm saying nine. I should probably you be just 10. say ten. You, I'm gonna you. say ten. I'm gonna change it. It's ten. 10 out of 10 VHS tapes. I don't even know why I would even say 9. It's perfect. I really love this movie. It definitely went up on my list of favorite Miyazaki films. So I'm really happy to watch it again and find a whole new appreciation for it. Um, And yeah, uh, I think that it is supremely beautiful. Um, I could not take my eyes away from it when I was watching it. I was just so enraptured in, in how pretty this film is. And I'm like really excited to watch the rest of these uh, movies in 4K with HDR and truly see the the full wonder that they are. Um, yeah, you'll have to invite me over for that because my television. No, you have the same TV as me. I know, but I don't have the internet. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have the good internet. <laughs> like it won't play it. It's too much. <laughs> they won't give me that fiber shit out of here. Yeah, you do have to have fast internet to watch it in 4K. Give it another two years. Six years. years. (laughs) (laughs) Finally have it out here. Um, I was... Yeah, I don't don't know. It's like, it's hard to talk any more about it than... I I shared a lot of opinions when we were going through it. Yeah. um, Yeah, the performances are really good. I think that... I I often think about these movies um, because I never watched them as a kid and just like what I would have thought about them when I was a kid. And like, I feel like I would have just been like so enraptured by this movie if I saw it as like a small child. And um, yeah, it's a great film. Cool. I need to rewatch this subbed just for the experience and see if there's any differences. I agree. And... I feel like every time I watch it, I'm like learning something new about the plot or about like some kind of like symbolism or I just like love it. Like I I'm I would easily give this 10 out of 10. And it is like for sure one of my favorite Hayao Miyazaki films. And it's just like beautiful. I love watching it. It's it's so dynamic. There's so many interesting scenes, so many fun characters that I love. I love the kind of like character 
like growth and transformation, particularly with Howell, with Sophie, with, I mean, even the witch, like, I feel like it's, it's all so fun and dark and, you know, for, I don't know. I, I just like, I love it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. It's it, it when you just like, when the movie's so good and so perfect, it's like, what more can you say? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to keep this short. I uh, love it. It's extremely well made. The, all the like sets, all the like, uh, the designs are incredible. I love all that. Like, janky house moving castle construction shit yeah uh the magic is great it's fun uh it's extremely well cast it's beautiful it makes me feel good when i watch it i want nothing else from it 10 out of 10 vhs tapes wow this is a perfect score the first First time time. (laughs) 30 out of 30 first time for the perfect score 30 vhs tapes it's wild all right, um, folks. Uh, yeah, let us know what you think of Howl's Moving Castle in the comments section. Uh, we want to hear your reviews. That leads us to our next section. What's up? What's up? What's up? On tonight's What's Up? No. <laughs> on on this episode's <laughs> Tonight's What's Up? Uh, on this episode's What's Up? We're going to talk about uh, animation. And... Uh, just how, like, what impact animation had on us, uh, our first recollections of that. I think back to, like, old Cartoon Network and, like, old, like, Nickelodeon. And I watched, I watched like, so many, like, animated shows and movies growing up and... You know, I, it's something I even look forward to as an adult watching animated things and um, trying to think of some of my favorites. I, I feel like I watched like, I don't know why, like right now, like one animated series that like really stands out to me that I like watched a lot of was like Rocco's Modern Life yeah. or like Chowder on mm-hmm. Cartoon Network. I watched a lot of Chowder or like um, Samurai, Foster's Home. Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends. I watched so much of that or like um, Samurai Jack. Uh, I love Samurai Dude. Jack. The I remember staying up for the premiere. Not I maybe mean, not staying up, but just like like planning my night around the premiere of Samurai Jack. That shit was so cool. I loved it. It's like visually so impressive and just like fun and had really really interesting shots and cinematography and um. Yeah, these were some shows that really took up a lot of time <laughs> in my childhood. <laughs> I spent a lot of time watching them. Definitely. And I I think about them now as, as an adult, even. Um, 
Yeah, I basically got raised on cartoons, you know, very mm-hmm. much like put in front of the television sort of uh, thing. Uh, Saturday morning cartoons, the whole deal. A lot of Cartoon Network. Yeah. Uh, a, lot a lot of the old Hanna-Barbera stuff. Mm-hmm. Herculoids and Wacky Races and Flintstones. And then Looney Tunes shit, you know, all of that yeah. stuff. Wacky Tom Races Jerry. is really fun because it's like they take all these characters from different shows like and put them together. Yeah. yeah, and it's like, it reminds me of like, Super Smash Brothers, like Nintendo, like uh-huh. Nintendo yeah. doing that with Super Smash Brothers and stuff, you know? Yeah, there's like Penelope Pitstop and uh, oh. uh, what's the guy's uh, Captain Caveman. And, yeah, all these different characters. What's the Dirk, Dirk Diggly? Oh, Diggly, Dirk Dastardly. Dirk Dastardly. Or, yeah. Yeah, Dirk Diggly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then from there into, you know, the Nickelodeon stuff. Like all of it, Thundercats and Johnny Quest and yeah, uh, definitely Rocco's Modern Life, mm-hmm. Ren and Stimpy, yeah, um, Captain Planet, yeah, for sure, Captain Planet, yeah, definitely, Captain maybe Planet. even like Ed Ed Nettie, Ed Ed Nettie, yeah, <laughs> The yeah, Simpsons, one, another one of the, the premieres. Simpsons. I remember watching. I remember getting Burger King, getting all ready, had my nuggets prepped and my dipping <laughs> sauces prepped for the premiere of of Ed Ed Nettie when I was a kid. I was like. <laughs> Have a like distinct memory of that. Did anyone watch Muppet Babies? <laughs> yeah, I definitely because no. Muppet, okay, so I never watched Muppet Babies as it aired, but they would re-air it in the morning. Mm. It was like the AM cartoon for a yeah. long time, so I would watch it just because I would be watching TV in the morning as a kid and like just watch it because of that. But never intentionally watched it. You know, I I was I'm like just old enough to live through an era where you would have to like, just like watch whatever's on TV. Right. Yeah. You know, just whatever's airing at that time. Yeah. So I would, that's what led me to watching a lot of things, you know? Yeah. I watched a lot of uh, Dragon Ball Z and Dragon Ball. Yeah. yeah I remember uh, going into, we'll transition into my what's up segment. Since you mentioned Dragon Ball Z and how I consumed that was on Toonami and mm-hmm. they were airing it sequentially. Yeah. So like I would try and be home and like ready to watch that every day to like because I was got into Dragon Ball Z, you know. And yeah, what's gonna happen on Planet Namek? Dude, oh my god. And the tournaments when like the, whenever oh, yeah. there'd be a tournament like arc, you know, like it, that was shit was so cool. Um and then Toonami kind of like was a huge deal. Toonami kind of like prepped me almost for Adult Swim in a lot of ways. Yeah, that was the gateway for sure. Yeah. And Toonami also, another fond memory of Toonami I had was trying to win a PS2 (laughs) and a copy of Jack and Daxter for PS2. Because they were doing this big giveaway on Toonami where it's like, call in. And I just had a phone and I was like, no one get on the phone. No one can get on the phone. Once again, I'm old enough to have a point in time where with a landline, no one can oh, yeah. be on the phone. <laughs> and I was like, no one get on the phone. I'm going to call in and try and win this PS2 and copy of Jack and Daxter. I didn't win it, ultimately. I eventually played the game later. but It's about the journey, bro. It was I, it's a very fond memory of just like watching every show on Toonami while trying to like get this PS2. Mm-hmm. It was fun. Yeah, cartoons. Uh, yeah, I'm still a sucker for them. Same. Yeah, Sam. I love cartoons. What's the most modern cartoon y'all have gotten into? Probably Rick and Morty. 
Yeah, maybe there is like a really fun like animated film. I think it was made by like Disney Pixar and it was called Oh my god. Soul. Soul. Yeah. Yeah. Soul's yeah, yeah. really yeah. good. It is really yeah. good. I thought it was like one of the most like experimental kind of animations I've seen in the modern world lately. Yeah. Especially made by Disney. I really like how they animate the real life stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, like the way they make like streets and cars and like tables and like all like the things from real life like look they're like hyper realistic and mm-hmm. the characters still have this cartoony bent to them you know yeah it's yeah. a cool juxtaposition there's yeah. a pretty broad range of like animation they have like really simple kind of bubbly yeah. characters and then they go into like really um like subconscious kind of very minimal yeah, it goes it goes Almost very 2D. minimal and then you get like really like kind of hyper realistic parts sometimes. Um I thought it was a really good film and it had a, a pretty broad range of animation styles. Yeah, it was a cool one. The um the most recent animated uh show I've gotten into was Steven Universe. Mm. Um, I had never watched that before and like uh, earlier this year went on a huge just bender watching that show got super into it and I truly think it's like one of the best like modern cartoons up there with Adventure Time um, and then the even the follow up show that they made recently on uh, HBO Max Steven Universe Future I think is what it's called is mm. like a really great continuation of the story um, I, I I would recommend that more than almost any other cartoon I've seen um, recently on like mainstream television. Mm, cool. I've never explored Steven Universe, it, so after hearing that, I'm yeah intrigued. Fantastic! If you like Adventure Time, I, I think the mm. art style of Steven Universe it definitely pushed me away at first because whenever I saw just the art style of it, I instantly was like, ah, I don't think I'm going to like this. So I'm a very aesthetic first person a lot of the times. But I gave it a chance and kind of fell in love with it and got past my like opposition to the art style and ended up really liking it. Cool. Um, another, I'll check that out. Another modern thing I cannot remember the name of, but it's on HBO Max, maybe via like the... Adult Swim Portal or whatever, but it's just this uh, animated show where this caveman fights a T-Rex and then becomes friends with it and they fight a bunch of other dinosaur monster things and there's no dialogue in it whatsoever. Just this like visual storytelling. It's really cool. Don't know the name of it. Uh, (laughs) That sounds cool though. Yeah, it's it's really, really sweet. Uh, And I would be amiss if I... if I didn't remiss, if I didn't mention uh, Batman, the animated series, really pivotal show for me. Uh, Love that one. And uh, the X-Men animated series. Love those. I watched that one with my mom. Hell yeah. She likes soap operas and she really got into it. Primal, the name of that show? I just Googled it. it. (laughs) For the sake of the My phone's dead. (laughs) Primal. Check it out. Yeah, I also really liked... um, 
the Batman animated series from what I watched. And I also liked uh, what Batman Beyond. Yeah, that was pretty good really too. Cool. Yeah. Um, and the, um, what was the other show you mentioned? Uh, X-Men. The X-Men one. Yeah, I even watched the X-Men like, it was like a future class X-Men one that happened like, X was like X-Men The Next Generation or yeah, something like that. Yeah, there was like a few offshoots. And that They're one was okay. pretty decent too. Yeah. Yeah, cartoons. Cartoons. Love them. Yeah. We'll have to have another animated movie come up on the show. Yeah, definitely. We definitely will. But I I think that's that's what's up. That's what's up. Um yeah, stay tuned. We're gonna do Clueless next week. With special guests. With a special guest. Uh tune in to find out who. I can just say it. Say it. It's Alex. It's so notorious. (laughs) We're very excited to watch Clueless and have Alex on to talk about it. Yes. It's been a minute since we've had a guest. Yeah. Uh, please head over to Instagram, ampm.video. And uh, and at GoTeamVideo. Yeah, we got a new Instagram up. Just for the pod. We'd like to take a moment to thank... Uh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> to bless you, that. Abby. And, uh, <laughs> thank you. And to uh, thank Mike Gubbins for providing the music for the show. Uh, check him out on Instagram, at Gubbs Music. And uh, shout out Jorge Sierra for our promotional images of uh, all of us hanging out, being cute in malls and stuff like that. And um, yeah, thanks so much for listening, everyone. Tune in next time. For Clueless. And shout out to AMPM Video for making this podcast possible. That's right. Thank you, both of y'all. Thank you for AMPM for sponsoring this podcast. AMPM. I think we will do anything. Was it our like three year anniversary in like September? Yeah. Is it September? I mean, no, it's October. November. It's November. November. Yeah. Oh, is it November? <laughs> I'm yeah. just thinking now about how. Still three years. Yeah. Yeah. Over yeah. three years. We're and, just about and there. counting. Yes. Right on. Bye. 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 Woo! What a whopper. We did it. That one was over two hours.